You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. All right, it is great to see you this morning. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5 is where we're going to be, and it would be really helpful if you had a Bible out and open on your lap. It would be great for you to be able to look at these passages as we read them and think about them this morning. So Ephesians uh, chapter 5 is where you need to be turning. And as you turn there, um, I want to spend just a couple of minutes um, chatting with you about our uh, survey that we just sent out last week on the city and that we want to encourage you to to fill out. And so let me just uh, start by saying this, that uh, I I want you to know, as, as speaking from your pastors and from your staff. And I mentioned this last week that we love you, that, that we consider it one of the greatest privileges of our life to be able to serve you and walk beside you. And we really wanna be the best shepherds and the best staff that we can be um, to help you become all that God has created you to be. So we, we're in on that and we wanna do that. And one of the things that we think will be helpful for us is the Stonegate just 2015 survey where uh, you know it just kind of gives you a list of questions to fill out. And I, I think it would be really helpful for us for a couple of reasons. Um, to shepherd you, one of the things that's important is that we keep a pulse on kind of the big picture view of our church. Like how are we doing in terms of mission and community and uh, gospel understanding and racial reconciliation? Like where are our people in these areas? Um, how are you thinking about these areas? That's very important for us to know. So we've got a bunch of multiple choice questions that literally take you like three or four minutes to run through and fill out that are very helpful for us in getting that big picture snapshot of where our church family is. And the second thing a survey really does that that is so helpful for us is create a feedback loop for you to be able to express things to us as your pastors on one side and staff on the other. That uh, I, I want you to hear me say this. We really do want to be good listeners to you. I want you to know that. That's one of the the parts of shepherding that's very important is that we do a good job listening. So in that little feedback section, it gives you a chance to express things that you appreciate and ways that you would like to encourage our pastors and staff. And at the same time, if you've got concerns or things that you would like for us to consider and to pray over, it gives you a chance to express those. And all of that is very, very valuable to us. We consider that a really important thing that we're positioning ourselves in ways that we can hear you. Now, let me clarify one thing on the feedback section of this. And this is important. You kind of, I don't want you to have weird expectations about it, right? And so if you think, if I write something down, our church is going to do that or become that, that is not what that's for. And we're not saying that everything that somebody suggests is going to be what we become as a church family or what we're going to do as a church family. There's a million different opinions about everything in this room, right? And so, but here's what I can tell you, that what we are committing to, not that we're going to follow up with every little detail on it, but that what we are committing to is that we will read over all of them, we'll consider all of them, and we'll pray over all of those and see what the Lord has for us. That we want to be good listeners in that way, and we want to be obedient to Jesus and what he would have for our church. And so in light of that, I want to make sure that that we encourage you to fill that out. Up on the screen, you'll see the link to that. It's also in the little handout that you got, or you can find that on the city. So every adult in our church, that would be above high school. So adult is like above high school age. If you're out of high school, we really do want you to take a few minutes to fill that out, allow us to listen to you, allow us to get some information that will be helpful for us. So if you'll please do that this week, we would very much so appreciate that. So please do that this week. Okay, Ephesians chapter five. Let me preface kind of where we're going this morning. 
uh, by just introducing us, kind of reacclimating us to the book of Ephesians. I love the book of Ephesians. It's six chapters, 155 verses long, and it is just packed full of rich and weighty gospel promises. I just love the book. We spent, a few years ago, we spent several months working through verse by verse the book of Ephesians, and I just love it. I love how in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, it's all gospel promises, nothing about what we do, all about what God has done for us in the person and work of Jesus. I love how Paul in Ephesians 3.8 refers to the gospel as the unsearchable riches of Christ. I love that. He's saying, man, this is what the gospel is. It's like a treasure chest that has a, like a bottomless, you know, thing at the, the, the bottom of it. Like you, you reach your hand down and you can't get to the bottom. It's a treasure chest like that. It's the unsearchable riches of Christ. Then you, that's the first three chapters. Then you get to chapters four, five, and six. And that shows you now what we can now do and become as a Christian. So, so here's how it works together. It's, it's gospel logic. First three chapters go like this. You are renewed in Jesus. You have been renewed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The second three chapters, four through six, show us this. Now you have the capacity to live lives that reflect being renewed. You can now live in such a way that reflects the good news of Jesus. This is gospel logic. God has done this for you. Now you can begin doing this, chapters four through six. That's how the, the whole book is framed. I just love how it ties all that together. But another thing that I really love about the book of Ephesians is its focus on the church of Jesus Christ. I love how it talks about the church in Ephesians. Um, it mentions the church nine times, the word nine times in the book, and it refers to it in metaphors and in pictures throughout the book. All the chapters do. And so it, it, it has this emphasis of the church. And one of the things that I love about Ephesians is it clarifies this link. It clarifies this idea that we all desperately need clarified. You cannot just talk about being a Christian in personal terms. You can't do that. The, the book of Ephesians shows you cannot just talk about Christianity in terms of you and God. You cannot do that. So, so think about big picture. This is what Ephesians is showing us. that the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is intensely personal. Like, so it's gonna use words like this in the first couple of chapters, that when you come to Jesus in faith, the empty hands of faith, you come to Jesus turning from your sin, hurling your life upon Jesus. The Ephesians 2 says you are saved in that moment. Ephesians 1 says you are brought into the family of God and you are adopted. Ephesians 2 says you are reconciled. Those are all personal sort of, of terms. It's the personal kind of dimension of the gospel. But it's never, Paul shows us that it's, you cannot leave it in personal terms. That when you become a Christian, when, when you become a person that is in Christ, Paul clarifies that you also now belong to the church. For everyone who's in Christ, you belong to the church. Paul shows us that you cannot just talk about Christianity in personal ter terms. You've also got to talk about it in communal terms because when you become a Christian, you become a part of the church of Jesus Christ. He shows us that. Now, our culture desperately needs to get a sense of that. We live in a culture where the prevailing mood, this is just the prevailing way that people think about the church, is that, you know, I have kind of a vague appreciation of Jesus, but I don't really like the church. We live in a culture that has devalued and de-emphasized the role of the church in our life. Now, we could talk about that for days, but sociologists talk about this all the time, that we have a culture of a lot of people who would claim to be believers, but they just are not belongers. The church is a, you know, if I've got it, great. If I don't, that's okay too. 
I just don't really like that. I'm kind of skeptical and cynical toward all of that. We live in a culture that is really lost and is in desperate need to regain how God views the church and the church's role in our life. We live in a culture that desperately needs that. And I can't think of a better place to see this than the book of Ephesians. Ephesians provides the help we need to regain God's view of the church and its role in your life and in my life. So with that being said, I want you to know this is my goal for this morning. This is what I want to happen. I'm praying it would happen for you and me is that we would leave this morning with a deeper sense of, I love the church. I love it. I want to give my life away to the local church that we would leave with a deep sense of that. So here's how I want to kind of structure the morning. We're going to kind of take this in three questions that I think will be helpful in just kind of working through and digesting what is the church and why should it be important to us. So here's question number one. The question is, what is the church? The book of Ephesians uses that word nine times. In the passage that Valentine read to start off our morning, Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, in that little passage, 12 verses, the word church shows up six times. Now that's showing us something there, that that passage is not just about marriage. It's not just about a man's role and a woman's role in marriage, that ultimately it is about something about God's glory, who God is, the gospel, his relationship to the church. It's showing us something about that. But if it's used that many times, referred to this often in the book of Ephesians, we can't just assume that we have a, kind of a, a working awareness of what the church is. We can't assume that. We've got to press into that to make sure that we're thinking clearly about what the church is. Now, if you were to do like a word study or like a word search on church in the New Testament, you'd see it used a lot of times, almost 115 times in the New Testament. And if you want to group the way that it's used most often, it's in two different categories. Category number one is the invisible church. This is the church universal. This is all Christians everywhere. It's, it's every person who has ever lived that has been loved by Jesus and saved by Jesus. The invisible church is the church as God perfectly sees it. Every Christian that's ever been, all cultures, all ethnicities, all times, this is the, the universal church or the invisible church. The church is God perfectly sees it. That's one way that it's used. The other way that it's used is to describe the visible church. This is the local church. This is a gathered group of the invisible church up there, a gathered group of those people in a visible body. That's the, that's the visible church or the local church. Now just think about how this kind of plays out in Ephesians. Most often in Ephesians, when the word church is used, it is used to describe the invisible church, the church universal, all Christians, all people who have been loved and saved by Jesus. Most of the time in Ephesians, when it's used, it's used like that. But think about this. Paul is writing the, the letter of the Ephesians to the church in Ephesus, which is a local church. It's, it's the church made visible. It's the invisible church up here, a, a section of them gathered together to form a local visible church. That's the other side of it. So you've got the invisible church and the visible church. Now, when it comes to the visible church, a local church like Stonegate, the question is what makes a church, like a local church, a local church? What is that? And let me just share what, what I would consider a really rich and robust kind of definition of a local church. It'll be on the screen for you. The local church is a community of regenerated believers who confess Jesus Christ as Lord, in obedience to scripture, they organize under qualified leadership. 
They gather regularly for preaching and worship. They observe the biblical sacraments of baptism and communion, are unified by the Spirit, are disciplined for holiness, and scatter to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission as missionaries to the world for God's glory and their joy. Now there's eight little defining marks in there that I just want to run through briefly. And these will be highlighted on the screen for you as we run through them. So the first one is regenerated believers. Do you see that? It's regenerated believers. In other words, for a local church to be a local church, it requires people who have been loved by and saved by Jesus. If you don't have a group of authentic Christians, you don't have a church. Okay, so that's like step number one. God has to save some people to make a local church. Regenerated believers. Here's the second one. Second mark is qualified leadership. This is what separates three guys who meet at Starbucks and study the Bible together from a local church. A local church has Jesus as their shepherd, and then they have under shepherds called pastors or elders who are responsible before God for a group of people. And then you have people who are willing to put themselves under the authority of a group of elders who are responsible for them. Okay, you gotta have that to be a local church. If you don't have pastors and elders who are responsible for people and people who are willing to submit to their pastors and elders, you don't have a local church. So a local church requires qualified leadership. Number three, a local church gathers for preaching and worship. This has always been a part of what a local church has been. They gather together regularly for preaching and worship, to hear the Bible, you know, expounded upon, opened up and taught, and to hear us sing about the good news of Jesus together. Uh, Mark number four, they practice the biblical sacrament. So we've got baptism and communion that happen in a local church. Number five, they are unified in the spirit. In other words, there is theological unity. This is what we believe together. This is the core things that we're gonna all hold as a church family. And there's philosophical unity. Here's what God has called us to do. And this is how we're gonna go about doing that. A local church is unified in those sort of ways. Um, A local church is disciplined for holiness. Mark number six. Like church discipline is a part of what a local church is. It's a part of what a local church does. When we refuse to let go of sin, when come hell or high water, we're saying, I want this sin, period. I'm not turning from it. I'm not, I'm not repenting of it. I'm going to keep this sin. When we refuse the correction of the Spirit personally in our life, when we refuse the correction of our community of believers around us, and then finally, when we refuse the correction of our pastors or elders, there is a point where God tells the pastors and elders, you have to remove a person from your faith family. They have to be on the outside now of your faith family. There's gotta be a clear like distancing there. And listen, this is a part of how God protects his church one and how God loves a human being in his sin. See, part of what church discipline does is it brings the gravity of what a lack of repentance does to a human heart. It brings the gravity of holding on to sin and not being corrected in it. It brings the gravity to that. So church discipline is a part of of what a church is. Mark number seven, they scatter to fulfill the great commandment that a church ought to be marked by a love of neighbor, that we love one another as God loves us in Jesus. We love our neighbor as God loves us in Jesus. And lastly, we scatter to fulfill the great commission. We, we scatter to live on the mission of God of making disciples in our neighborhoods, among the nations, that we are marked by this urgent want to make disciples. 
This is the mission that God has defined for us. So this is what a local church is. If you miss one of these marks, it means that there, there is some dysfunctional thing happening about that local church. This is a rich, robust way of viewing what is a local church. There, there it is. Number two. Question one is, what is a church? Question two is, how does the Bible talk about the church? Now, the Bible uses, a, I mean, a lot of metaphors to describe and to talk about the church of Jesus Christ. One guy a few decades ago wrote a book called uh, Images in the New Testament of the Local Church, and he said there were like 96 images that the New Testament uses to describe the church. I don't know if there's 96 of them, but I do know this, there's a lot of them. We're not, for the sake of time, we can't cover them all, but the book of Ephesians gives us at least three that I want to just kind of work through with you. Here are three images out of the book of Ephesians I think are helpful as we're thinking about what is the local church and, and how should I think about the local church. So the first one is in Ephesians 5. So go, go to Ephesians 5. It's the church as the bride. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 22. Paul begins talking about the roles of men and women in marriage. Here's the wife. Here's your role in marriage. Here's the man. Here's your role as a husband in marriage. And then you get down to verse 32, and Paul does an interesting thing. He backs out of the details of marriage. Here's your role. Here's your role. He backs out of the details, and he gives the 30,000-foot view of marriage. He gives the ultimate purpose of marriage, what marriage is really about. In verse 32, he says this. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it, talking about marriage, marriage is the it. Here's a, a wife, here's a man, they come together in marriage, they're one flesh. Here's how the woman operates, here's how the man operates. I'm saying that it, this whole thing about marriage that I have been talking about, it refers to Christ and the church. That there is something about marriage that if we can get our eyes lifted above the actual thing of marriage, that it's showing us about God, the gospel, and his church. The marriage shows us that. So let's just think back to the last wedding that you saw. Now, in most weddings, there's a moment where the pastor comes out and there's a group of guys up here. There's a guy getting married, the groom, and then there's the, the, the men around him. And there's this moment where the back door opens and the bride comes busting through that door. Now, if you're like me, I love to kind of look around and see how the guy is taking that moment. And that's always an interesting little view there, isn't it? I mean, you've got the sweaty palms thing happening, probably the sweaty pit thing too. You've got all that going down. You've got a man who literally, his heart is about to beat out of his chest with anticipation and excitement for this lady, this, this bride of his to walk down this aisle toward him. Now, before we go any further, that is showing us something about the church. If we can lift our eyes above that moment and now apply it to how God views the church, it's showing us something there. That God thinks about the church like that. That when God sees the bride, his heart beats with anticipation and joy and excitement over the church. That God, maybe we could say it this way, that God actually loves the church. Now hear that. That God Almighty, the God of the Bible that wrote Ephesians 5 is saying here, I love the church. Ephesians 5.25 I love it enough that I would give my, the life of my son to create the church, to create a bride for me. I love it like that. That's what God's saying there. I love the church. Let's keep going in the wedding analogy. So that the woman walks down the aisle, the, the bride walks down the aisle, and there's this climatic moment in a wedding where the man is looking in the eyes of the woman, 
and the woman is looking in the eyes of the man and the pastor will say some vows. He'll give a list of commitments. This is what you're promising to do. And just to summarize that, here it is. It's a, this is gonna be an exclusive relationship. It's gonna require all of you, the totality of you. You're gonna be fully in. And this is gonna be an enduring commitment, an enduring covenant. That it's a lifelong thing. It's total, it's exclusive, it's lifelong. Now that's showing us something about God and his church. See, when, when God is using that as the imagery, he's saying, listen, it's not just that I love the church, it's that I'm making a commitment to the church, a covenant with the church. I, in this covenant, it's gonna be a total covenant. I am all in on this thing. It's gonna be an exclusive covenant. I am, I am giving all of myself and just to the church. It's an exclusive one. And it's, a, it's an eternal covenant. This is an unbreaking covenant. I am in for the long haul here. You see what God's saying in this imagery? I love the church and I am in forever to the church. I'm making a covenant with it. I gave my son to create it. And for the rest of my life, this is Ephesians 5, 26 and 27. I'm going to give our time to making my church beautiful, to making my messy bride spotless and without wrinkle. That's what I'm giving my life to. I love it like that. Okay, now let's allow that that imagery of the church, to speak into some of the cultural headwinds that are blowing against the church. So God is saying, I love the church, I'm committed to the church. Cultural headwinds. Here's one of the primary and the biggest cultural headwinds that people, this is just kind of the mood of the people of our culture and the way they feel about the church. It goes something like this. I had this vague appreciation for Jesus, but I just don't care a lot for the church. I just don't like the church. Now, I wanna be careful here because I think embedded into that statement for many people is a deep hurt. And, and I, you know, I share that hurt. I've lived with and among the church for, really for most of my life. And I carry a lot of scars from that. So in no way, shape or form is, is God saying here or are we saying that the church is perfect. You're going to have fault and you're, you know, you're going to have moments of hurt when you embed your life into a local church. I mean, I, I'm empathetic toward that. But here's the other side of that equation. We can't keep running from ourselves. We have to face ourselves. And, and, and if our mindset is, I love Jesus and I love, but I just don't really like the church, we've got to face ourselves in this. That does not square with how God would want us to feel and operate. It just doesn't. I, I mean, think about what you're saying in that moment. You're saying to God, God, I, I really like you, but your bride, your wife, I can't stand that lady. That, that just doesn't work. That's just not how God sees the world. See, as a Christian, our goal is to, is to more and more be conformed into the image of our older brother, Jesus. And here's what Ephesians 5 is saying. Jesus loves the church and Jesus is committed to the church. So at some point, We've got to face ourselves and realize we are allowing our hurt to take us to ungodly places. We are allowing it to shape us in ways that it should not shape us. That because we love God, we should all be saying, I therefore love the church because he loves the church. Now here's the second kind of one of those prevailing sort of moods in our culture. The, the second kind of headwind in our culture is we have a whole culture of people who rather than marrying the church, are dating the church. This is the normal way we approach the church. It's a dating relationship, not a married relationship. Another way to say that is, we approach the church in a totally kind of consumeristic mindset. 
What's in it for me? That's what's important. It's not what I'm going to give to this. It's not going to be me meeting a church, even when it gives me nothing. It's what's in it for me. See, if you want to think about how we as daters relate to the church, it, it goes like this. I think there's a couple of kind of defining marks. One is that we're just very meistic. This is what it looks like when we're dating the church. We're just meistic people. Our, our whole lens for how we view the church is meistic. It goes something like this. If the church is meeting my felt needs, this church is awesome. It's great. But if the church is not meeting my felt needs, I don't know how anyone could go there. That's probably the worst church I've ever seen in my life. See, this is how we operate with the church. If they're meeting our felt needs, not, the, not our real needs and our deepest needs, but our felt needs, if they're not meeting those felt needs, we're out. It's a terrible church. They're just not doing ministry correctly, right? We're just very meistic. And, and ladies, I, I used to try to clarify this in our student ministry all the time, that when it comes to dating, if, if you're a lady in the room, you need to listen to, to, to this right here. If you're single and you're a lady, and you've got a person that's dating you, a guy that's dating you, and he comes to you and says, Baby, I love you. I'm in. It's me and you for the long haul. See, that's got the mirage of exclusivity, doesn't it? It's got the mirage of, it's just me and him forever. This is what's happening. But can I translate what he really means? So this is, this is what we really mean in a dating relationship when we say that. Babe, I'm in. It's me and you until something better comes along and then I'm out. See, that's what, that's what defines a dating relationship. It's not exclusive. It just has the veneer of being exclusive. But when you boil it down, a dating relationship is, if something better comes along or I want out, it's no longer exclusive. We're all out of this thing. See, and I just think that's the way we approach the church. It's, if you're meeting my needs and things are going great and I can't find a better deal, then I'm in. But if I can find a better deal, I just want you to know, I, I appreciate you, but it's no longer exclusive. I'm out and I'm gonna kind of present the mirage of exclusivity to the next place. See, and I just think that marks how most of us relate to the church. It's totally a meistic. If my felt needs are being met, then I'm good to go. But another mark of, of dating the church is just a very critical and cynical spirit toward the church. Like we, we look at the church and all we can see is its fault. All we can see is the millions of ways that it's not measuring up. Like we've burned through half a dozen churches and we just can't find the church that's perfect. We just can't find the church that measures up to all the church should be. And, and here's the ironic thing about that. I agree with that. You can burn through a lot of churches and not find a church that measures up to all that, that a church is supposed to be. Do you know why that is? because it's made up of people like you and me. That's why. That just like we as Christians are never going to measure up to what all a Christian should be, a church is never going to measure up to all of what a church should be. That's why there's a thing called grace that's so amazing, right? So, I, you know, this is another one of those moments where rather than running from ourselves, at some point we have got to face ourselves. And to the best of my ability, I'm not saying this with any sort of pride or arrogance, but I want you to listen to this. If this is you and you've got a very critical nature, You've burned through every church on the south side of the Metroplex and you just can't find one that, that meets your criteria. If that's you, I think there's gotta be a point where you realize maybe the problem isn't in a hundred different churches. Maybe the problem is you. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's your expectations are such that no church could ever meet that. I mean, maybe that's the problem. That there's just this very critical sort of a nature in regards to the church. Now, so, so here's the question that we're, we're getting at. This whole imagery of the bride. 
forces us to this question. Are you marrying the church or are you dating the church? How do you relate to it? Now for us, marrying the church starts with covenant membership. I just wanna take a moment to explain what covenant membership is and why we do that. So uh, uh, Hebrews 13, 17 is the best place I could think of to describe the point of covenant membership. It's gonna be on the screen for you. I just want you to read this along with me. Here's Hebrews 13, 17. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them. That's, that's for all Christians everywhere. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls. Gosh, this last phrase is just so terrifying for me. As those who will have to give an account. Now here's the two sides of covenant membership. The two sides go like this. There are elders and pastors who are looking at God and looking at you and saying, we are willing to be held accountable for your souls, for how we shepherd you. We're willing to be held accountable to that. That's side one. The other side is there's a group of Christians who are looking at a group of pastors and elders and they're saying, we are willing to bring ourselves under the umbrella of your authority. See, this is not asking you to submit to every pastor's authority in the United States of America. It's saying you've got to find a certain set of pastors, a particular set of pastors that you are willing to submit yourself to. Now, covenant membership is a formal expression of that. Covenant membership is that moment where we say officially, okay, so where pastors look at you and willingly and officially say, I will be held accountable for you. I'm gonna shepherd you in light of that. And it's where Christians like us look at pastors, and this isn't all of us thing, it's even pastors are submitting to one another here. So it's where we as Christians look at a group of pastors and say, we will willingly and officially be under your authority. We will joyfully submit to that. We'll joyfully do that. That is covenant membership. Covenant membership is when we clarify the lines of who are we being held accountable to and who are we submitting to. It's a formal recognition of that. Okay, now covenant membership for us begins with Discover Stonegate. We're about to do Discover Stonegate starting in February. February 8th is the first class of that. It's a three-week class. And if you're dating, okay, so if you're here and you're not a covenant member and you've been here for a while, that means you are dating the church. That's what that means, that you're not willing to step into a local church where you're gonna do the Hebrews 13, 17 things of submitting to a group of elders and pastors. And that we just wanna invite you into that. That at the end of the day, you know, if God sees fit, we are willing to look at you and say, we will be held accountable for you. And I think there is such a blessing when you get your life under the spiritual authority of a group of people who love you and care for you and are willing to be held accountable for you. So if that's you, if you've been dating for a while, you can get married here in February. We'd love to, we'd love to take that step with you, right? Okay, so this is, this is image number one. The church is the bride. Here's the second metaphor that, that we find in Ephesians. It's the church as a body. Look at Ephesians 5, verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are, here's the imagery, members of his body. We're members of his body. Okay, now let's just kind of work through what this imagery means. So, and, and Paul goes, by the way, into to more detail in 1 Corinthians 12 on this, but he, here's unpacking the imagery. It looks like this. Christ is the head of the church. He is the senior pastor of the church. And we as Christians now become the body of Christ. Okay, so God in 1 Corinthians 12 equips us. He's, he gives us spiritual gifts so that we have foots in here. 
We have hands in here. We have toes in here. We have mouths in here. We have ears in here. We have all the different parts of the body. We have all these different parts that make up the body of Christ. Christ is the head. We as a collective unit, as we plug in and, and you know, kind of congregate together, we now become the collective body that attaches to the head. Okay, that's the imagery. Now, let's just take a second here to uh, talk about another one of those cultural headwinds that just fight right against this sort of a view of the church. I think this is one of the prevailing kind of moods that are in our culture as far as how people relate to the church. And it goes something like this. It's this mood and this sort of a vibe that says, you know, if I have the church in my life, that, it's okay, great, whatever. But if I don't have the church in my life, that's okay too. It's a kind of a leave it or take it sort of a proposition. If it's in there, great. If it's not in there, that's perfectly okay too. The vibe goes like this. At the end of the day, if, if I just have a Bible in Jesus, I'm gonna be all right. Now back to that, I would say this. Really? You're sure about that? Because that's not how the Bible presents it. That's not how the Bible talks about it. That is not how the Bible sees that equation. The Bible sees it like this. As part of the body, you desperately need the rest of the body to be all that God has designed you to be. And if you don't have the rest of the body, you're never going to be all that God has designed you to be. Let's just tease this out in the metaphor. So the metaphor is the church is the body. And let's just say you're a hand. We've got a lot of great hands around here. They do unbelievable work and they serve our church family in unbelievable ways. They are servants. They get things done around here. That's the hand. But let's just say as the hand, your approach is, you know, if I have the church, it's great. If I don't have the church, that's all right too. If it's just me and Jesus, we'll be all right. Here's what that means. The me and Jesus thing. It means this. That's like, to use the metaphor, it's you taking a saw out and you grabbing the hand off the body and you starting to saw the hand. And you cut all the way through the bone and the hand falls to the floor. It twitches a couple of times. Now you just let the, the hand sit there long enough. What's going to happen to the hand? It's going to die and shrivel up, right? See, that's the picture of what the, the whole me and Jesus are going to be okay thing. That's what happens when it's just you and Jesus. See, what, what the imagery is showing us here, when, when the Bible is talking about the body of Christ, it's saying that as a part of the body, you actually need the rest of the body. And the rest of the body actually needs you. See, that's how the imagery works. And if you're refusing to give yourself to the body, if you're a hand that's saying, me and Jesus will be all right, it is like you saying, a, like a, a, a cut off hand can lay there on the floor and we can even put the head of Jesus by it. But that's just weird, isn't it? The hand needs more than a head. A hand actually needs a wrist, a hand actually needs an arm, an elbow, a shoulder for the hand to do what the hand is designed to do. See, maybe we could say it this way. If you're refusing to be a part of the body, if, you're, if your mindset is, I can leave it or take it. If I have the body, it's great. If I don't have the body, it's great. If it's just me and Jesus, we're all right. If that's your mindset toward the church, here's, what, here's what's happening right now. You are losing and the church is losing. You're losing. A hand cut off cannot be what a hand is meant to be. And when the body has a hand cut off, when it's, when it's handless, the body is not what the body is designed to be. There is a mutual need there. It is not a leave it or take it relationship. Everyone desperately needs to be connected to the body. Desperately needs that. And it's been interesting, just even here recently, I've just seen such wonderful pictures of this playing itself out. 
Travis uh, Wyckoff, one of your pastors and I, just here recently, uh, we were called uh, by a lady in our church family that, I mean, just got devastating news. I mean, just as bad as it gets, just in a puddle, just my life just fell apart in front of me, and I honestly don't even know what to do about it. And uh, we get the call, we head over there, and we get there, and another lady in her home group beat us there. She's just there loving on her, just, I mean, just presence, just loving on her, praying for, just being that sort of a friend that is there in a really dark moment. Um, We leave, and in the middle of leaving, we find out that another lady in their home group was going to come over and spend the night with her. And it's just the body doing what the body does. Like when the, when the body is connected, when hands are serving feet and feet are serving hands and mouths are serving, when, when all of that is happening, everyone wins. You win when you're helping another person. The other person wins when they're getting served by the body. Everybody wins in that moment. Now, here's another thing. I want you to think about this too. See, the love of God is, is an abstract thing in all of our lives. We, we know about the love of God. We know that God does love us, but it's a really abstract thing. When you are served by the body of Christ, it's one of the ways that the abstract love of God becomes real and concrete. Now, I want you to hear what I'm about to read. This was a text message that was sent from one guy in our church to another guy in our church here recently. And I want you to see this. When the body is doing what the body does, when hands are serving feet, feet are serving hands, when we're all mutually serving one another, we're plugged into the body. It's not a give or take thing. We are in, connected to the body, serving one another. Listen to what he said. He said, your friendship and guidance are one of the reasons I know that God loves me and cares for me. You see that? When you are plugged into a body and you are loving and serving other people, you are the tangible proof to others that God actually loves them and cares for them. You are the physical expression of the abstract love of God in their life. You're convincing them in that moment that there is a God who loves them and cares for them. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Isn't that a privilege that we have as the body of Christ? Now this imagery of of the body, it takes us straight to this point of, are you serving the body? Like, are you plugged in and connected? And whatever you are, hand, foot, mouth, whatever you are, are you plugged in and serving the rest of the body? So I love how Paul talks about it in Ephesians 4, verse 16. He basically says that a church has all of these different parts to it. Hands, feet, mouth, all these different parts. And when every part is plugged in, and I love the way he puts it, and working properly, the the body builds itself up and grows in love. See what he's saying? When we're all plugged in, we're all doing what God has gifted us to do and called us to do. When we're doing that, when we're laying our life down, serving the local church, the church is growing and building itself in love and becoming all that it was intended by God to be. Let's take the reverse of that. If you're a person who you come, but you don't serve, You're you're a cut-off hand. It's a give-it-or-take proposition. If that's you, I want you to know this. Our church is not all that it should or could be because of that. It's just not. And here's the other side. You're not all that you could or should be too. Everybody's losing in that scenario. When God is saying, but everybody can win. We are the body, so let's act like it. Let's get our life connected. Let's start serving and let's get ourselves where we are using the the unique giftings that God has given us for the good of our church family. If you're not serving someplace, don't leave today without addressing that. Stop up at the connection table. Stop Travis. Stop one of the staff. Make sure you start taking steps toward plugging yourself into the body. Here's the, the third imagery. 
the third imagery, is church as family. The church as family. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2 verse 19. And we're going to be back in Ephesians 2 talking about the church one more time next week. So we're going to kind of expound and kind of work through this passage in detail. But let me just point out one verse in Ephesians 2 verse 19. Paul says this. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members, here's our phrase, of the household of God. Let's just take the big picture of the Bible. Here's the the big Genesis Revelation picture of the Bible. Genesis 1 and 2, God puts us in a garden and he is walking there among us. In a very real and tangible way, our first parents, Adam and Eve, were living in the fatherhood of God. Genesis 3 happens. Our first parents eat the forbidden fruit and they sin against God. They revolt against the fatherhood of God. And as a consequence of that sin, they are kicked out of the garden and in essence kicked out of the family of God. In in a very real sense, everyone post-Genesis 3 that was born into the human race has been born into a spiritual orphanage. And aren't we grateful that God's willing to do something about that orphanage? This is the grace of, this is the, the good news of grace, that God's willing to do something about it. And here's what God did about it. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life in our place, to die undeservedly on the cross, In our place, we should have died there, but Jesus died there for us and for our sin. He was buried three days in a tomb, risen from the dead on the third day, so that the orphanage of this world could be emptied. So that he could grab spiritual orphans and bring them back into the family of God. So that now when we come with the empty hands of faith, when we turn from our sin and hurl our life upon Jesus, in a very real sense, we leave the orphanage and we come back into the the family of God. We're adopted, the Bible says. That we can, now, we can now know that God is really our father. We can now for the rest of our life pray to God as our father. We can live the rest of our life knowing that we are secure as one of his sons and daughters. That this is the good news of the gospel. That we really do have a father in God. Now if we're his sons and daughters. So like you, when you become a Christian, if you're a son and daughter of God. What would that make other adopted sons and daughters of God? Family, right? That makes them brothers and sisters. That makes them a part of the household. That makes them a part of your family. And a local church is what happens when the big, big family of God up here, the invisible church, all of this family up here, the local church is when a section of that family band together to become a particular family to you. That's a local church. This is what God wants for you, for me, not to be a disconnected person, outside of a family, but in a particular family where we can know it and belong and be known by them. Now, for us, the expression of this happens in the context of our home groups. This is the way that this kind of works itself out. Now, all of that presses against another one of these kind of prevailing moods in our culture. Here's the prevailing mood that this idea of church as family just specifically confronts. It's this prevailing mood. And if I'm guessing, this is in this room too. Here is how most people approach the church. They approach it in an an unbiblical way. And here's how most people in our culture approach the church who would be sitting in services just like this. They approach the church like this. What the church is meant to be in my life is a place where I go to a service. That's what the church is. A place where I go periodically to experience a service or maybe even go to a home group. But it's just a place that I go periodically. Now, I want you to hear me really clearly in what I'm about to say. The church of Jesus Christ has never been 
nor ever will be designed to be a service for you to go to. That is not what the church of Jesus Christ is. That's not the right way to approach the church. Here is the right way to approach the church. It's not less than a service. It's not less than a home group, but it's much more than that. The church is a family that you've been called by God to go, not to a service with that family, but to embed your life into the fabric of that family. That's what a local church is, a place where you have embedded your life into a group of people where you look around and you're saying, this is family to me. This is my family right here. That's a local church. This is what God desires for you and for me, to treat a local church like it is your family. Now, again, this happens in the context of home groups for us. And I love how John Wesley Uh, In 1738, he's kind of the one that created what we know as home groups today started with John Wesley back in the day. And listen to his rules for his home groups or small groups. Listen to to rule number four. This is what kind of made up the fabric of, of what a home group or a small group was to him. Here's how he described it. Rule number four in his small groups went like this. Every person, and by the way, this is just a good expression of what our home groups are. Every person in the group speak as freely, plainly, concisely as he can, and here's what you need to speak on, the real state of his heart with the several temptations and deliverances since the last time we met. Now that's what a home group for us is designed to be. A place where you can come and be honest about who you are and who you're not. It's a place where confession can and should be happening. Not not just for us to spout some new Bible trivia thing, but where confession can actually happen. See, without confession, there's no authenticity. Without confession, no one's being real. Without confession, everyone is pretending, although everyone is still messed up. Okay, so without without confession, you have no authenticity. But without deliverance, you have no grace. You have no gospel. But when you get authenticity paired with grace and gospel, beautiful things start to happen unbelievable things start to happen. And that's what a home group is meant to be for us. And then we wanna invite you into that. See, when I think of a church as family, here's, what, here's my first thought that I think of. In my mind, here's what a family means to me. It's a place where both the good and the bad in me can be known. That's a family. See, you can't hide yourself from a family. You, you live inside of a family long enough, they're gonna know all of your junk that you bring to the table, aren't they? You just can't hide it because you're with them all the time. See, when I think of family, I think it's both the good and bad of you that's known. Now, when it comes to a church family, it's one thing to give the good, isn't it? That is awesome. We love talking about our awesomeness. That's a real comfortable thing for most of us to talk about. But it's the bad part of us. That's terrifying to talk about, isn't it? That is absolutely terrifying to talk about the darkness that's still in us, the sin that's still in us, the thoughts that we think that that we would be terrified if anyone else knew. I was talking to a friend here this last week, and he was talking about his sister-in-law who just went through a terrible season, just terribly difficult. She had a nervous breakdown. She just crumbled under just the weight of life in a fallen world. And do you know what her first thought was in the middle of just a messy and difficult and desperate season? Here was her first thought. I cannot let my church know about this. Isn't that interesting? And my hunch is many, if not most of us in the room, carry that same misconception with us. That when life is falling apart, like right now, you know your marriage is crumbling. You know financially you're a disaster. 
You, you look in, and there's just all sorts of darkness that you're seeing. And rather than just saying, man, that's in me. We, we come in thinking, no, I can't let anybody know that. What I need to make sure they know is that I've got life together. So we keep this, you know, this thin kind of veneer of I've got life together going when down underneath the, the like millimeter thick veneer is chaos. Like our house is burning down and we're trying to convince everyone that everything is okay with the house. And I just want you to feel this. You don't have to do that. You do not have to live that way. If you look at you, if, if when you're facing yourself right now, you look at you and you think this, I am a dysfunctional, chaotic Mm, that's what I am. Just know, I, you're in good company. That's what we all are. Just know, you're in, if you feel that about you, you're in great company. Everyone else in the room feels the exact same thing when they face themselves. And I want you to hear this. We are working so hard to provide a culture here where you can be known, the good and bad, and that will be okay. That that will actually be helpful for you. See, you know what we all need in the midst of our both good and bad? You know what we all need? We need a place where three things are present, where we have multiple exposures to the grace of the gospel, where we're hearing that over and over in the midst of our good and our bad, that, that grace really is real and it's for you. We need multiple exposures to the gospel. We need safety. We need a safe place where we can actually express the, the darkness in our hearts. And we need time. We need people to be patient as we grow and as we develop in all this. And we're working so hard to provide that culture for you where we can actually be a family where people are known, good and bad, and people are helped, family. So can I just ask you, are you, are you living like a family? Part of that means you've gotta be in a home group. If this is just a service to you, you are, doing, you are not allowing the church to be a family if all you view it as is a service. And, and by the way, you can go to a home group all day long and you can keep the darkness in your heart locked behind a million deadbolts, deadbolts and that's not allowing the church to be family either. It's you being a part, you embedding your life into this church as family, allowing all of you to be known by your family. That's what we're after. So a step in that direction would be to get in a home group. And if you're in a home group, to be known in your home group, to take the deadbolts off and allow people to see what's in you. We'll finish here and we're done. What is God doing in a church? What's God doing with the church? What's God doing in a church? Ephesians 3, 8, 9, 10, and 11 answer the question. Let me read this and then we'll, we'll land the plane. To me, this is Paul, to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Verse nine of chapter three. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Here it is in verse 10. So that through the church, not through any other thing, but through the church, the manifold wisdom and glory of God might be now made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The church is a really big deal to God. It is God's chosen vessel to show who he is, all of his attributes, his glory, his manifold wisdom. It's his chosen vessel to show all of that to all the world for all eternity. That's the church. That's a part of what you can be a part of and what I can be a part of. That is the church of Jesus Christ. I'm gonna finish by this quote from a pastor. His name is John Piper. Listen to how he describes this. Just listen carefully to this. 
He says, the church of Jesus Christ is the most important institution in the world. The assembly of the redeemed, the company of the saints, the children of God are more significant in world history than any other group, organization, or nation. The United States of America compares to the church of Jesus Christ like a speck of dust compares to the sun. The drama of international relations compares to the mission of the church like a kindergarten riddle compares to Hamlet or King Lear. And all the pomp of May Day in Red Square and all the pageantry of New Year's in Pasadena fade into a formless gray against the splendor of the bride of Christ. Take heed how you judge. These things are things are not what they seem. All flesh is like grass and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord abides forever. The media and all the powers and authorities and rulers and stars that they present are a mirage. The gates of Hades, the power of hell, the power of death will prevail against every institution but one. That one institution is the church. So lift up your eyes, O Christians. You belong to a society that will never cease. To the apple of God's eye, you belong to the eternal and cosmic church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray together. I want to give you just a moment to allow the Spirit of God to press any of the things that would be helpful, to wipe away the things that wouldn't be. And if you're in the room this morning and you're not a Christian, there's never been a moment where you've turned to Jesus. This is, I mean, the great news of the gospel is that you can get in on the incredibly bright future that Jesus offers right now this morning. And you do that. It's real simple how that's done. You turn from your sin and you hurl your life upon the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus who, who lived for you, died for you, rose again for you so that you could be reconciled to God, brought into the family of God. You could be in the family of God this morning. All the benefits all the eternal benefits can be yours this morning. You can be reconciled to God Almighty. Man, if you have not done that, what a beautiful morning for that. And if that's you this morning, will you please take that card under your seat, fill that out, check that box on establishing a relationship with Jesus. We'd love to celebrate that with you, start to walk beside you in that. And for those that you are a Christian, you're in Christ. Man, may God help us see that we also then belong to the church. And we are to be a, a people who marry that church, the bride of Christ. We're to be a people who serve that church as the body of Christ. Are, are you serving some, somewhere right now? Are you giving your life away? Are you allowing other people in this church family to feel tangibly the love of God in the way that you serve them? And have you married the church by, by moving towards covenant membership? Not, no longer dating, but, but marrying it? I mean, we're to belong and to embed our life in a local church because it's the family of God. It's your family. Man, that wants to know you and love you and help you become all that God has, has designed you to be. Are you in a home group? Are, are you among a small group of people who can help you do that and be that? So, Father, I pray that right now you would give us the courage to face ourselves, 
not to run from ourselves, that, that you would give us the courage to allow you to deal with what's inside of us. And Father, I pray that you would give each of us a deep and enduring love for your church. God, might you do that right now in this room? God, where we have dated the church, will you help us repent of that? Will you give us the courage to repent of that? Where we have consumed the church rather than being a a part of the body who is serving it, God, will you help us repent from that? God, where we've just seen the church, the service that we go to on Sunday morning, a home group that we just kind of pop in and out of, God, God, will you help us turn from that? And will you help us be a people who, who are treating the church like the family that it is? And it's in your good name that we ask that, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.